Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money in Investing show. This week we are looking at the technology sector. Is it TechRec version 2? Uh, what's the difference between a good stock, a good business, and our price and value the same things? Very philosophical questions, very important answers that are going to keep you safe, on the straight and narrow, and ultimately profitable. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money in Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. And to jump straight into things, I'm going to require your wisdom today. You've been around markets for, what, 30 years plus. Uh, you've seen a lot, GFC, dot-com boom bust and the bubble. Today, I want to talk about whether or not a good business necessarily means that it's a good stock. It's a rather okay. interesting question. It is. Let's look at this. Well, I think we're going to get on the tech pathway with this because that's probably given recent moves in markets not a bad uh, rock to go and have a look under. And I'm going to just nudge the title some. How about this? Dot com boom and bust or tech wreck version two. Wow. What about the reality check for tech? Oh, it's It's been a bloodbath out there um, for, for a lot of companies in that space. And on the back of it, of course, a lot of investors. And I think before we dive headlong into this, um, probably good to classify uh, the kind of companies we're talking about. So typically when we talk about technology companies, um, historically the perception is that they're traded on the NASDAQ in the US. Um, not all tech companies are traded on the NASDAQ, some form uh, the basis of the S&P 500 too. So if you look at companies like Apple, uh, Facebook, Microsoft, even though they're, they're, they're technology companies in the sense that they're in the tech space, I think we could consider them to be almost uh, like a, a, a commoditized business. Yeah, if you're Microsoft, you sell operating systems. If you're Apple, you sell quite a, a myriad of consumer goods, even to the point with Facebook where your commodity is advertising space. So they're in a, a slightly different category, perhaps, to some of the other companies that we shall have a look at. And it's it's really interesting to see some of the volatility in that sector right now. Some of it we called really well. We talked about, you know, inform informally and formally about what our view was, for example, with regard to Netflix, you know, quite a number of weeks before it reported. And yeah, there were some early warning signs, I suppose, that remind me of some of the sort of hubris that we saw during the tech wreck, which was sort of way back in 2000, 2001. Um, similar patterns and history, just like success leaves clues and learning to recognize them certainly can point you in the right direction. So yeah, let's, uh, let's bring it on. I'm excited, AB. So first question for you here, a rather philosophical, philosophical one at that, excuse mm. me, is share price and business outlook mm. are they the same thing and do they represent the same forward-looking same forward-looking guidance look i don't think the share price and the business outlook necessarily match insofar as um you know you can have hype hope or hindsight and uh, we've got the benefit of hindsight all of us with what's happened um so many companies are caught up in a hype cycle and and that hype cycle can be so extended that it becomes yeah a hope cycle too. So yeah, the share price and the outlook for the business, there can be a real overshoot where you see the share price go way past you know, what the business is actually worth to the point where, you know, from a traditional investor's perspective, the company is on a huge, huge multiple, price earnings multiple. I guess, you know, just to define that for people listening, a price earnings ratio, um, you know, it's the bastion of fundamental investing uh, for many people. It's actually quite a flawed uh, process, but we'll, we'll find some use for it. Basically, it's the price of the company, which, you know, that's easy to determine what was its last traded price, divided by its earnings. Uh, and this is where it can become a little bit tricky because do you use the historic earnings for the business, which is a fact, and it gives you a reasonable benchmark and, and the benefit of hindsight? Or do you use a forecast for earnings, which to all intents and purposes is really a guess? 
And you go, well, you know, consensus, what the Wall Street analysts are all saying, that doesn't mean a thing. Uh, if we take Facebook uh, earlier in the year, you know, out of 63 Wall Street firms uh, that were interviewed, 57 of them were expecting a 30% jump in Facebook's earnings. The share price dropped by 40%. So, you know, they don't get it right all the time. So there is a flaw with the PE ratio in that, you know, half of it can be based on a guess or a historical valuation, neither of which are particularly useful. That said, where the PE ratio becomes um, quite handy is to to evaluate, I suppose, um, whether something is appropriately priced. Uh, and if we look at that ratio, you know, on average, if you look at, say, the S&P, 13 to 17 times is the historical range. It's currently around 18 times, so it's slightly overvalued still, um, uh, is the range that you normally see the P ratio for, for, for the S&P. And that's the broad market that's for our broad, listeners out there. Yeah, so that's the top 500 companies as traded in the US. Um, so 13 to 17 times, currently around 18 times. But within there, you'll have, you know, let's call it a hot dog company uh, that's, that's massively um, higher in terms of its multiple because investors are buying it today for where they hope uh, it's going to be in three, five, ten years' time. Uh, and if that uh, turns out to be a good place, you can make huge amounts of money by being a, you know, you bought the story. Take Tesla as an example of that. You know, if you've been a long-term buy and hold investor in Tesla, you've done extremely well. Even though the company may be massively overvalued from a PE perspective, you know, its earnings are relatively low compared to its price. Um you're buying a slice of the future, and who knows what that looks like other than Elon Musk. Okay, well, let's dive into that he a little bit He tweeted that the other day, I'm sure. He just bought Twitter, didn't he? He certainly did. It's nice to be able to find $66 billion in your change drawer and say, right, I want freedom of speech, now I've got it. That's only pennies for him. Mm. So, AB, diving into that notion of multiples a little deeper, let's take some stocks mm. as an example. So, Netflix, we've spoken of this so many times before. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a stock we've widely spoken of our ecosystem that trades currently on a multiple of 19 times. Now that's only because the share price is down 72% from its highs, 700 bucks to the time of this recording, less than $190. Mm. Arguably a good business outlook long-term, but in the short term, it's been smashed. Yeah, the, 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 the performance of those companies, they're so susceptible to, to the primary driver, which in the case of Tesla is car sales, in the case of Netflix is subscribers. Obviously, you know, big drop off in subscribers as a consequence of not being able to do business in Russia. That, that is a factor. Um, but I think, you know, irrespective of that, that was a company where the hyperbole had, 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 and, and the hope had gone past the reality. And we can say that with hindsight for sure, although we've, we've spoken to it before the event too. Uh, what I mean by that is that Here's a company that is was the vanguard, was the primary company in its space. And if you think about rideshare, we talk about Uber. You don't think about um, Holler or, or Lyft or some of the other people in that Didi. space. You, you think about Uber. Um, in the same way, when you talk about streaming, it was always Netflix. But that's actually quite a crowded landscape now. Um, you know, you've got Netflix, this Stan, um, Hey You, Binge, Disney Streaming. Uh, what else? There's probably a few more out there too. You know what we should do? We should get our listeners. If you're listening to this right now, comment below how many streaming services that you're currently listening to right now great idea it'd be interesting to see what people are actually following because it, it is a massive actually a decent tap on your cash flow because you might have something you watch every now and then 
worth it the other day. Subscribe 60 bucks for the live Tyson Fury fight on stand. Dead easy, one click and done. A lot easier than, uh, than using some of the other platforms. There. Go Tyson Fury. Absolutely, what a win too. So getting back to the business at hand though, the knockout punch, there you go. That's a bad segue right <laughs> there. Um, for, for the likes of Netflix is you, you've been the dominant player in your sector, but all of a sudden you're getting some fairly heavy competition from you know, the likes of Disney, which is very, very well capitalized and incredibly strong brand, sort of sniffing at your heels, taking market share uh, and you've been used to being the sort of alpha in that space and you can recognize this this is more than anything mitch you know if i sort of dust off the playbook way back you know 20 something years ago for the dot-com boom and bust the way you see companies spend money when the future is always going to be bright and we're on this growth trajectory that's never going to stop is really quite sobering when that music stops and in the case of netflix if you've just seen the recent round of spending cuts where they're slashing left right and center shows getting rid of you know senior management and and the people that effectively have had the the eye the attention to detail to produce winner after winner for that you know you take for example you know they cut a hundred million dollars to you know megan markle and the ginger winger sorry prince harry if you've grown up on the British tabloid press, then uh, those sort of headlines are normal. But, you know, there's a hundred million bucks that's been spent for no content. In fact, they've just cancelled, thank the Lord, um, you know, Meghan Markle's um, uh, kids series. We're never going to get to see it, thank God. Um, and you kind of think, how do you cut a check for that when there's no return on value? There's no demonstrable revenue line. A hundred million is a big check. There's no skill set. You've got someone that's an actress. Um Where's the skill in being able to create content other than the hype and the hope that something may come in? So that's a really good example. And, and not just something that I think was was really limited to the dot-com boom and bust. If you go back to the GFC, and I guess this is the benefit of being around markets as long as I have, you know, particularly if, I, you know what I've got in my, in, my, in my office at home, I've got all my journals. And I always like to go back through my trading journals because you remember different things as they happen. And, and, and that's a really handy playbook to have. You go back to the GFC, uh, it's no different to the likes of say Babcock and Brown or um, Elko, which was um, David Coe's bid to buy Qantas, which would have been a good deal for the Qantas shareholders at the time. Yeah, they both went bust. They didn't have the ability to follow through the vision, but it was great when the good times were there. You know, we helped list Babcock and Brown, and that was a sort of 650% return for investors before it went pop and, and delisted. So these these shooting stars that can go, you know, so strongly can come down just as quickly too. And I think that for, you know, 70% plus from its highs, I think it's down over 50% just on the month yeah. uh, for Netflix, is a bit of a reality check. And I think you're going to see management there operate the checkbook with a little bit more due diligence than let's just cut a hundred mil check to buy a headline that may or may not eventuate in any kind of content that we can dollarize. You know, and if you're able to come up with series that stand the test of time, you, you, that, that, that's a money spinner. But when it's a one-off piece of content, you know, the Invictus Games, I'm sure it'd be good, but it's not something that there's a recurring revenue line from. You, you know, you're massively overspending and that shows, I think, a management team that, that perhaps have just got too much easy access to easy money. Outside of Netflix, let's look at a different one where the, the, the stock price performance has been just as, uh, as, as horrific, I guess, for investors. And that's Square or, or Block, as it's now known, SQ being the code. Yeah, Jack Dorsey's new business after Twitter. Um, and anyone that's been to you know, a farmer's market or just about anywhere, coffee shop, they've got the little white thing on the counter, which is the Square very handy. payment. Absolutely brilliant technology, and it's, and it's revolutionized their cashless society. It's all been very good. Um, the acquisition of Afterpay for, what was it, was it $36 billion 
to buy what has been a bucket of warm water, which is cooling rapidly, again, is an example of a company that's got you know great access to cash, but now the hard work needs to go in to dollarize that cash. And rather like Netflix with the with the with the hundred mil for 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 Harry and Megan, this is another example, albeit thirty six billion, where they're going to have their work cut out to try and deliver any kind of meaningful return on that thirty six billion spend. You've got a business that doesn't make any profit. The losses are increasing, as we've just seen from the most recent reporting. The morality of Afterpay, which we've spoken of previously you know, several times in this podcast, it is an unconscionable business, in my opinion, where it's, it's predatory lending to people that are not in a position to buy something, but will make it possible to do that by spreading the costs over you know, four easy payments. I wonder if Block managed to pay for it over four easy payments. I wonder that would if that be was handy, wouldn't it? Um, and, and you also got a set of regulatory um, rules that will be catching up with that business. And so far, Afterpay has been quite clever insofar as it's not been a financial services provider. It's just merely provided a technology solution for financial products to be delivered. But at some point, that 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 net will tighten up on it. Notwithstanding you know, the bad loans as we get into a, a, a more challenging part of the economic cycle, uh, where people are getting behind with their payments, and it's been shown that they've had to refinance with interest-bearing debt to pay off their buy now, pay later um, splurge, um, you know, it's not a good story. And and for the likes of Square and its management team, you know, yeah, well, you know, 36 million for, sorry, 36 billion that we've paid for this, like, where is the return going to come from? And they may well prove that to be the case and they may well do it. But at the moment, hindsight would suggest that they probably paid way, way too much for a business there, maybe, you know, three or four times more than what it was worth. Yeah, we could go on. I mean, there's plenty of other stocks. You know, you look at the performance of um, Facebook, um, you know, which had a really good surprise uh, in its most recent reporting, but the previous quarter was pretty nasty. And I think part of the the resurgence in, in the result this time around was just merely a price increase. They're in a monopoly position. They sell a commodity called advertising space, and they're in a position where they just Simply charge more for views per thousand, uh, and if you're a marketer, you got to pay it, and, and and that's where a large chunk of that revenue line came through for them. But um, that said, you know, buying these stocks now at these cheaper levels for a slice of the future makes an awful lot more sense than than, than buying them at those massively extended valuations. So, question to you, AB. Let's take Square and you've Facebook. Been very, you've been very patiently listening for this question. I so have not but taking it all in. It's, Absolutely, it's something I'm very passionate about because I just see the the value denigration for so many investors smashed simply because there's been a, a, an optimism and hope of what they've bought. So far away, sorry. So Facebook and Square, right? Two mm. two different businesses. Mm. Now Square's down around 65% from its highs and mm. Facebook's down 40%. So by no means are they very good performers in the last year or so. What makes those two businesses different? Share prices both come down mm. in both instances. Nonetheless, you could argue that Facebook's got a lot better stewardship than that of Square based on what we've just spoken about. So mm. what are your thoughts? Look, Facebook is has made bold moves throughout its life and, and companies that make bold moves either get it massively right or massively wrong. And in the case of uh, Mark Zuckerberg, obviously at the moment, it's it's been massively right in terms of the behemoth organization that's that's been created there. Um, the danger in all of those spaces is the next dope 
product that comes along that, that then replaces what's there. And if you look at, for example, TikTok uh, and, and the meteoric rise that that's had in terms of subscriber acquisition or user acquisition um, versus versus Facebook, it's just the new cutting edge, just like Instagram. Obviously, that's now part of Facebook, but just as that was when it came along. So there's always the risk that there's the next thing. Facebook's been pretty good at buying out its competitors before they <laughs> um, get anywhere to, to cause any damage. So, yeah, the, the, the punt on the metaverse and whether that's going to be the thing, I mean, they're all in on it. And and, you know, strong leadership and, and strong businesses are built on a fully committed position. And, you know, you, you, who knows what that means for Facebook. But in the meantime, you know, the, the revenue line is advertising space. It's, it's got the enviable position of having no competitors. If you're an online marketer, where are you going to market? So strong business outlook, arguably, with I'd a say monopoly. It is, and, and, and certainly significantly better value. And if you're prepared to um, hold these stocks on, say, you know, say a two-year view, um, at these multiple levels, I think they're pretty attractive buying, especially if you wrap some options work around that to, to, to crank some income out of it. I guess, yeah, the, 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 the risk has been not largely taken out, but in the case of Facebook, 40% of that risk has been taken out by the, you know, the denigration of its price. Um, so, you know, you're not in at those stratospherically high levels. You're buying a commodity business at a 40% discount to where it was. And I think that's much, much closer to fair value. Um, the other issue, on those high multiples was, of course, the risk of inflation uh, uh, and what that did to future earnings. Now those future earnings are now discounted. That that kind of risk is priced in, I think. So how does that differ from Square? For example, would you be buying Square even though it's it's, it's down a lot? I think the, the, the difficulty with with Square is that it's sort of a one-trick pony insofar as it does that one thing at this point in time and, and, and now possibly two things by combining it with, with Afterpay. Um, and there's always risk to that, as I said. There's always going to be another product that that comes along in just the same way. You know, if you if you were Netflix, you had Open Field running for a period of time, and now you're in a very crowded marketplace. You may well still be the leader in that marketplace, but it is a much more crowded marketplace. And as as marketplaces become more crowded, you stop being the price maker and become the price taker, which can have quite a dramatic you know impact on the revenue line. I think also you know there will be a fair amount of shareholder pressure there because you know that that's not a small purchase that was made. And it's not the sort of thing that over three years you're going to write off um, and go, oh, we had a crack at it and it didn't work out. You know, there's going to be a level of accountability that's required there. So, yeah, they run the risk of having a fair bit of pain ahead of them as they um, staunch the losses. Um, yeah, which, I mean, they're not in the billions, but they're certainly in the hundreds of millions coming out of afterpay. And it will sting, especially on the back of a, a, a fairly, um, fairly expensive, well, massively overvalued purchase, in my opinion. It's crazy how once that blind optimism of people just buying these businesses mm. uh, on the basis of hype, when you look back in hindsight, can be yeah. uh, rather troubling. A hundred percent. And again, it goes back to that when 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 you've got the tailwind behind you and you can do no wrong and you're a market darling and you just gear up, gear up, gear up, um, everything's all good. But at some point when that music stops, is it hope, is it hype, or is it hindsight where you sort of shake your head and go, ah, that was not the smartest thing. So I think... You know, if you're if you're an active investor, picking up these stocks and holding for two years doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Um, at these kind of valuations, are certainly a lot more attractive. And if you're prepared to do options work around it, you can crank out some pretty good income from those stocks. So they're worthwhile assets to hold on that basis, and I'd be far more comfortable holding them. You know, at these current discounted levels um, than, than, than where they've been previously. But as to the future, we've always said, you know, technology is always going to be a bigger part of the future, but it is a fairly vulnerable sector. And we're in a stage of the market, I think, where 
we're not at the early cycle stage where we're starting to expand. We're probably getting more towards the con- contraction side with interest rates rising and, and, and um, you know, generally, um, you know, some inflationary pressure and, and, and a lot of negative risk on in the market. And as a result, I'd be more inclined to be positioning more defensively uh, than in a more aggressively tilted portfolio. So if you're looking at tech, you know, there's two strands of tech. There's commoditized tech that we started with, you know, your Microsoft's, Apple's, Facebook's, uh, rather than than the stuff that's the, the 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 sort of hot dog type stocks. Equally, you know, if you're going to have a defensive portfolio, yes, you can have some tech in there. You have to, but I'd probably be more inclined to look at stuff that's got a more proven earning cycle that isn't hope. It's not hyperbole. It's not hype. It's actually reality, and those sort of uh, utilities dead boring. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, the, the 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 revenue line is not typically a very negative surprise ever there. It's predictably boring. Um, and you know, in times of uncertainty, they tend to make a lot more sense to have in your portfolio. Not an exciting uh, way to invest or trade, but let's face it, if you're investing for trading and investing, uh, if, if you're investing in trading for excitement, your motivation is totally wrong and it's going to come at you know, a fairly nasty price for you. Amy, I think that's a really good way to end this broadcast. Are there any final words to wrap us up here today? Mm. Look, price and value are two different things. Um, yeah, price is what you pay, value, it's not always what you get. Uh, and with some of these stocks, as they've come back more to uh, a more wholesome at, and market in line with market type valuation level, that's where price and value start to combine. You know, looking at these stocks when they've been on, you know, stratospheric multiples a la Netflix, you look at that and think that's just so overdone and it really was a matter of time uh, before that pullback has happened. And I don't know that, I don't know we're done there yet. I think there's possibly, you know, some further downside, you know, Facebook turned it around in one quarter, but we're talking about Facebook here. Uh, I think Netflix is going to have its work cut out because it's not just about cutting costs. Um, You've also got to get that revenue line, you know, back up and fat um, to, to satisfy the needs of investors and that'll take a bit of doing and and, and because they're such big companies all of them the giga caps now um, you know it's not a two-minute job to turn things around it's like turning around a not even an oil tank or a continent you know it's pretty pretty tricky a couple of interesting months ahead i would say ab thank you very much for your time today absolute pleasure anytime mitch yeah have it guys make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you next week